Hey everyone, welcome to the 46th episode of the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your wonderful host, Mark Thomas, coming to you from the beautiful Brickell District of Miami in Florida. And uh, I'm very excited uh, for the guest that uh, I have on here today. Uh, He is from my hometown. He is doing some really awesome things on the sports broadcasting side of things. Very excited to ask him some questions on all the different things that he's been working on, which seem really, really cool. I think you're all going to love this episode. Uh, so without further ado, I will bring, I'd like to bring in our guest for episode 46, Ben Wilson. How are you today, Ben? Mark, appreciate it. I'm doing awesome. I don't know what it is. I, some sort of correlation here between you know us Wisconsinites and wanting to move away from the cold this time of year because I'm yeah in Las Vegas. It's uh, having lived here now for two years. It's kind of amazing not having to go through a winter. So I'm, uh, I'm supposed to be going back home for the holidays, which will be interesting. Uh, but I, I don't know about you. I'm very soft now. I, anything below like 65, I just start, I start panicking out here in Vegas. So but luckily we don't have any two uh, days, too many days like that. But uh, yeah, thanks for the invite. Really excited to be on with you guys. Yeah. And it's worse for me. So I actually moved to California 20 years ago, lived in California. Um, and even San Francisco, which doesn't have the warmest of uh, weather all the time, still was a major upgrade, especially in the winters from Wisconsin. And then just recently moved to Miami. And yeah, uh, trust me when I say that once you get used to uh, non-freezing uh, and non-below zero uh, degree days in winter, you're pretty much never going to go back except to visit for holidays and stuff like that. <laughs> that no, that is very a fair judgment. Well, and I'm I, my family's coming out here uh, for Thanksgiving, and I've I've had family living on the West Coast pretty mm-hmm. much my whole life. It's you know ironic, and we're going to talk about this kind of how I you know got into being interested in the whole like sports betting thing in the first place when I was like seven. You know, being out here for Thanksgiving and my dad having bets on the games and like what like what is this? Uh, just being it, it being such a foreign thing. And uh, yeah, so from the I guess we I can I can. Uh, Give that uh, the the onus, I suppose, for growing up in the cold weather, wanting to get out and coming out here to Vegas. And now here, yeah, I mean, here we are. It's kind of wild to think, uh, whatever, 20 years later, uh, I'm able to do this full time. So that's, you know, that's that's a fun part. All because all of the weather, I guess, Mark. Yes, yes, for sure. So why don't we start there? So uh, the sports, uh, you know, scene in Wisconsin and what's going on there. And then we'll dive into your broadcasting background. So are you a uh, Packers, Brewers and Bucks fan like me? Or do you deviate from any of that for any reason? Uh, no, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I was um, growing up. And uh, yeah, for me that from the Milwaukee area, those are always uh, our, our teams. I, I am a uh, golden, I do support the golden Knights. Uh, it's, it's very funny the way the betting market uh, works out here, especially when like the inaugural season of the golden Knights, as you know, I mean, growing up in Milwaukee, no professional teams, college hockey, obviously huge uh, where, you know, where I grew up, but um, so I did not have a team moved out here as, as the Golden Knights were just getting started. So just amazing how the betting lines were always so out of whack. I mean, you would just get so uh, like these outrageous lines on the Knights just because they were the hometown team and everybody wanted to bet them. That was kind of my first experience with uh, what, what is it like watching a betting market, you know, fluctuate with uh, with a home team like that uh, where, you know, you're here in Nevada. So Golden Knights are my only like deviation um, here, to be honest with you. A lot of friends were like Blackhawks fans growing up. I, I just could not go to the dark side like how if you're a Wisconsinite how could you possibly do that just because you don't have a team I always thought that was ridiculous so I'm not a Blackhawks fan but uh, I give a lot of my friends back home a hard time for that 
Yeah, for sure. So I never could understand why a cold weather place like Wisconsin never had a professional hockey team. Um, I mean, you have, there's two teams in Florida. There are uh, two teams in California. There's a team in Phoenix for crying out loud. Um, there's a team in Texas. I just could never, I mean, it's a team in Carolina, North Carolina. I mean, I just could never understand how there are teams in some of those destinations and not one in Wisconsin. I, I'm with you. It was always so baffling to me. And, uh, <laughs> and yet it doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. I mean, it's, that's just the reality. But I mean, you know, it's interesting. It's so nice to have seen at least like from the statewide perspective. I mean, the Bucks Brewers actually having success because as, as I'm sure, like it was the same for you growing up, those two teams were just so bad that it, it's interesting. It kind of how it just shapes you as a sports fan because of the way the Packers were just this, the, basically the only the only competent team professionally in our state and in our area. And because Brett Favre basically really, you know, reached like religious God type status when I was a kid, that was basically like the one sport I, I got so into. And I think just the fact that the NFL is the one sport where you can watch like every single game, every week, you don't, you, you're able to, you're logistically able to do that. You know, it's, it's on the one hand, I'm, it's so nice to see the, the Brewers and Bucks actually good now and, ha and have had su sustained success. It's, you know, such an amazing thing even to see the Bucks like win a title. But it's funny how looking back at it, like I'm, you know, I'm NFL. That's kind of my thing is from betting, from viewing, from from anything. That's always been the number one sport for me. And it's funny how you can kind of trace that back to like, all right, I had no other teams to really watch because they were terrible as a kid. And the Packers kind of filled that void and it, it sort of led to everything else, at least from, you know, my, my personal interests, I guess. It's just funny how that works. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I, I was a Brewers fan since 87, Bucks fan since 88, and a Packers fan since 92 when Favre came on the scene. Uh, but I somehow stayed loyal and really still watched a lot of baseball and basketball, bad baseball and basketball over those years. Um, so for me, when, when the Bucks won it all last year, it was extra sweet. I actually went to to game six as everyone on the podcast is hard of hearing me saying by now. Uh, but <laughs> no, um, I'm jealous. But yeah. I mean, I wish I could, I wish I could have been there. It would, you know, would have come a long way from, I think the first Bucks game I went to was a uh, tractor trailers uh, oh. rookie year. And that's like the first nice. Bucks memory I have. So that nice. you know, for the hardcore fans out there, they'll, they'll know what that <laughs> reference is. And they could have had Dirk Nowitzki instead of uh, tractor trailer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and then going back to the hockey thing. So, cause I lived in San Francisco for 19 years and obviously same thing, didn't have a hockey team in Wisconsin. So, uh, I became a Sharks fan, but only in the last five years and then moved to L.A. for a year, then moved to Miami. And it's interesting because I actually really actually like watching hockey games. But now that I'm not in California anymore and because I wasn't a Sharks fan like my whole life, that one's a lot harder. Whereas I subscribe to the NFL Sunday tickets so I can watch all the Packer games. I subscribe to NBA League Pass so I can watch all the Bucks games. I subscribe to Major League Baseball X earnings so I can watch all the Brewers games. And I and I watch all of them. Like, I, I very rarely miss games. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know on the hockey side. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, just because I think it, I, I kind of picked it up too late in life um, versus having followed it as a kid like I did all those three other sports. Uh, but, uh, yeah, maybe that'll be interesting. Maybe I'll... Maybe I'll become a Panthers fan. They're good. <laughs> Florida, yeah. <laughs> I mean, great start. And then, uh, you know, off the ice issues, you know, kind of, kind of derailed, uh, derailed that. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, oh, never so too, I, never I don't even late. know anything about that. So that'll show you how big I'm a fan of the Panthers. Wow. Okay. Become. So you're not, well, 
I'm I, not watching hockey just, at all right just now. Just Google Joel Quenville and you'll go down an oh, interesting okay. dark rabbit hole. That's all. That's all I'll say there. Uh, okay, I don't know if I want to do that then, but uh, <laughs> but you don't need. Unfor, I mean, I I call I call European hockey games remotely here from Vegas, and one of the and you know I've sort of by nature kind of have to when you do the prep. And uh, actually, I actually was calling a game today, and it was uh, Joel Qu- uh, Joel Quenville's second cousin who plays for this top uh, European team. And it's like, all right, we got to get, we got to mention it at least because people are going to wonder. So that's, right. that's, that is sometimes the the downside of when you have to do the thorough prep as a, you know, broadcaster, because you can't just ignore something that's not just because it's not like fun to talk about. And it's sort of awkward. And, and fortunately there are more and more of those stories that seem to pop up and you always feel right. that kind of pressure to, you know, to address them when you're on the air. So let's, yeah, let's use that as a good segue to talk about uh, your sports betting uh, or sports uh, broadcasting career. And we can, of course, use that to talk about the the betting side of things too. So yeah, walk us through our audience, like what you're doing today, uh, you know, what your background is, some of the th- cool things that you've done, like broadcast games on Fox Sports Midwest and other places. Um, would love to give the audience an overview of your background um, so they can understand some of the, the awesome things that you've worked on. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you for set, setting me up on this because it's very, it's kind of intricate. It's, I think a lot of people just assume that if like for us, it's, you, you do, you know, if you're full time as a broadcaster, you kind of have like one network or one thing you do. And that's just sort of like your everyday day to day thing. But uh, at least for me, I mean, there's probably f- four or five different things I'm kind of doing always at, at once, um, at least like my, you know, my, and it's kind of where the intersection comes for me with doing play-by-play and then sports broadcasting or uh, sports betting within the whole, you know, the whole broadcasting sphere here. So um, right now, I mean, we're in college basketball season just started, just had our, uh, we've had, I think I've had two TV games so far. So do a lot of college hoops for, I know you mentioned Fox Midwest, which is now uh, Bally uh, Sports Midwest. And, and they've got, you know, they do different contracts. Uh, they have contracts with different conferences on like the regional level. But for now, like I'm, you know, I do about, I would say two, three play-by-play games a week. And that's kind of anywhere from college hoops on the ESPN plus stadium PAC 12 side on some of their, some of their digital games for some of their, uh, some of the school streams, what have you. And that kind of goes anywhere from hoops to college soccer. We're in fall. So that's starting to wrap up volleyball as well. Um, and then a lot of, you know, other like high school football stuff, they, there's a lot of like showcase games here in the area through, um, through some of the, the regional networks again. So I'm kind of regionally based being here on the West coast. Vegas is, is a really interesting point to be based out of because there's so many events that come through here, especially uh, college basketball. So um, really gearing up for actually starting next week. There's a bunch of big uh, holiday tournaments coming in town that, uh, you know, I'll be doing some, there's some women's tournaments, some men's on the, on the D one level. So that is like, but there's basically, I don't know, three or four different networks that um, I'm calling games for, for different sports, pretty much all college, like occasionally some, you know, low level professional sports here and there, some high school showcase stuff here and there, but for the most part, a lot of uh, NCAA stuff, uh, mostly with like the, the Mountain West, Big West, Wacker are three of the, and Pac-12 as well, uh, are three of the main conferences, three or four of the main conferences out here that, uh, that I call games for. So that's kind of like, it's, it's sort of half of it. And then on the other half, because is you know for people who don't know, I mean it, it, in today's day and age, it is really really tough to actually go full time and just do play by play. A part of that is just the way the the current market is. I mean that the it is, it is with how saturated it is, where there's so many games on so many different networks, and a lot of them are streaming, um, you know more so than uh, than you know f- at this time five years ago. 
uh, there are just more games to be churned out. And as a result, the budgets are a lot smaller. The productions are, you know, there are, are more stretched thin in a lot of places because so many games are being done. So even if you're doing a lot of games, it's hard to make like a full-time wage just on those alone. So the, the challenge, I think, for anybody in our part of the business has always been, well, what do you, you know, what do you do to kind of anchor yourself that is outside of that while you're trying to build your way from doing the regional games like I'm doing right now to more of like a national, you know, full-time type contract, which only, you know, the very, the, the top, uh, you know, 1% of people in our industry um, have when you're talking about guys like you know, guys and girls at the CBS, Fox, ESPN, you know, top levels of, of the business like that. So for me, the, the other element to it is the sports betting stuff and which, which I love it's, it's, you know, I'm very fortunate that the, the secondary thing is such a fun part of the business and something that I am really passionate about uh, because I work for VEASAN, which is the uh, Vegas stats information network, which Brent Musburger founded about five years ago at this point. And I'm on air for them and, and producing shows as well for them combined about six days a week. So that, that's kind of like my day job. And, and then I also host a, a, or co-host a podcast with uh, Pete Rose, which has been quite the interesting experience. We've been doing that for about a month or about a month and a half now. And that's another six day a week thing. So those are kind of the, the anchor things I, I categorize it at that I spend a lot of time with, uh, especially during the week and during the day. And then play-by-play uh, -play play is kind of sprinkled in throughout. There's always sort of something to be prepping for and getting ready for. But um, as a result, it ends up being a really, it's a fun, busy, kind of demanding schedule where you have games that you're calling, but at the same time, while those are kind of on the college side and it's the, the you know, the fundamental play-by-play -play stuff, you're also very much forced to kind of stay in tune with what's happening in the betting market because you're covering it every day. You're focusing on all the big sports right now, obviously NFL and college football are, are, are the main ones. And you, you kind of based on that end up in a spot where you're, you're sort of uh, yeah, six, seven days a week, you're pretty much always tracking something. Uh, but, uh, it, but that's been really fun for me. And that's kind of the spot I'm in um, right now. So it's a little bit convoluted and it sometimes gets tricky to, to balance everything out, but it's, I think it's a good example. For, and it, I'm not the only one certainly who does this of how a lot of people are trying to still make things work on the play-by-play -play side, even with the way the industry is post-pandemic and a lot, of, a lot of the things pared down, but at the same time, still you know, being able to have a you know, full-time wage doing something in the business. And so it's, I felt really lucky, to be honest, that, uh, that sports betting has just exploded the way that it has. And that um, you know, just, it's all with timing. I was, just happened to be kind of in the ground floor with VEASAN and um, we're a network that's been super ambitious trying to grow from the ground up over the last few years. And we've kind of obviously picked a, we picked a good spot to launch. And I, you know, I came on a couple of years after the network launch, but with the way sports betting has just exploded, it's been a, a very, a very, uh, you know, opportune time to be a part of it and everything. For sure. So a lot to unpack there. So the first question, or just, I guess, maybe comment of surprise is I didn't realize that a lot of those regional broadcasters are just done on a one-off freelancer kind of contract basis is it like per game that they're paying you or per event or how does that work i thought it was a contract that you have with the network and then they just assign you whatever games they want to assign you to. yeah so it really does vary um depending depending on who you are and and what sort of games the networks are contracted for so especially now there are a lot of games where the networks were so let's just say uh like stadium for example which is one of the bigger uh, streaming networks out there now and, and i do a lot of like college basketball stuff for them so they will contract out their games they will basically have and it you know again it's not this this sort of depends but 
just use them as an as example, they will use, say, like a local school because these schools now, these universities all have like the local production elements there to do a broadcast. So uh, if I just take like, for example, the last game I called was Cal UNLV men's basketball over the weekend. That was a game on stadium, but stadium essentially contracted out that game to be produced by the Mountain West since they, you know, they're TV partners there and the Mountain West by proxy because UNLV is within that conference and because the game was there and it was in Las Vegas, they basically used them to staff um, and, and basically produce the broadcast of the game. And so that is becoming a lot more commonplace. There are, and there are still like, you know, even compared to, you you mentioned like Fox Midwest. I mean, when I did games for them, that was certainly done by the network and they produced everything and, and the production was a lot grander and rates were just higher for everything. But that's kind of going away just from like the whole idea of mass producing these games. And so for a game that is not um, and I guess the term that's been thrown around a lot more recently is the whole like linear versus nonlinear, which is basically just linear, meaning a game that's on the air that you actually turn the TV on and watch. Um, it is becoming those games are becoming fewer and, f- and further between as more games get put behind the ESPN plus paywall and, and more conferences are partnering with these streaming services like a stadium and and like flow sports where you can only, there's no TV element there. It's all online because of that. I think part of it is a lot of broadcasters like me, you end up essentially just working as a, as a contractor for sometimes it's the, it's the network and sometimes it's the school. Sometimes it's the conference. I've, I kind of have relationships in all three um, facets, but regardless, you're pretty much on a, a per game basis. There's, you know, you obviously are, you, there's sort of like a good faith thing there where when you're in the mix and you are, you're, you're covering the conference, you're covering the school or the network or whatever, you're going to have a certain amount of games you get, but there's really never any, like a, it's never like a fine uh, determining point of, all right, you're getting X amount of games and you're going to get it, you know, whatever bundle, uh, nothing is really guaranteed. And, and especially coming out of the, of, of the pandemic where the, the schedules have been so much in flux and we've, I mean, we've honestly had cases even, even into this broadcast season where a network at the last second will turn over, uh, they, they will still have the rights to the game, but they will turn over responsibility for producing the game from themselves, either to the conference last minute or to the school. So there's a lot of moving parts when it, when it comes down to it, it's, it's a lot different than, you know, obviously when you're talking about like the top college football games on ESPN, every week. Like, obviously, yeah, those are going to be your, you know, your full-time contracted people. It's the same, same crews every week at the network level. That's that. Those are the top highly produced games. It's a lot different when you get into the, into these streaming games, it, it becomes kind of a weird thing to navigate every week. Cause sometimes you're not, you know, you're not necessarily sure who is actually going to be producing the game and, and where you're getting paid from and who is actually hiring you. Um, so those are all kind of weird elements of it, but I guess over time you, you just sort of get used to it and, um, that, that's sort of where a lot of us who, are, who do things at the regional level are, are kind of used to now at this point. Right. And so then that was going to be my next question then is how hard is it to go from doing those contracts uh, and freelancing to getting into a permanent role? Do you have to work your all the way up to, you know, broadcasting for a specific team or network, you know, let's say, for example, at the NBA level? Or can you get a full-time contract with CBS Sports doing, um, you know, college basketball games? I mean, how does how do you get from the freelance aspect to the permanent role aspect? Or, or do you know? Would you want that? Do you want that? Um, or is that just something that just you know doesn't even interest you? No, yeah, I mean that like that's the ultimate goal to be honest. And I think like anybody, a lot of people in you know in my same um, 
you know, in my same position would say the same thing where you're, uh, you're, you're basically trying to get that full-time contract with what, like whatever the network is just because I mean, a, it, it makes things a lot easier logistically for you. And, and also it, I mean, cause you're simplifying a lot of things in, in that aspect when you take away the whole freelance nature of it. And it also by proxy just means you're doing bigger games and you're doing games that are going to be mo- most likely all linear, all on TV and just general like higher profile and, and bigger uh, games in general. I, the, the challenge is just, again, it kind of goes back to the whole like market saturation thing. Um, like you take ESPN, for example, the whole, the word inventory gets thrown, thrown around a lot. It's like, we only have, you know, we have X amount of games that we're, we're producing this year and we have X number of broadcasters who are full-time signed on to do X amount of games. And you kind of do the math and there's just very few, if any, even left over for anybody on, on the freelance side. So that's why like the goal for all, you know, any of us in, in positions like mine, and there's a lot of us and there are guys that are really, really good who have been doing this, you know, longer than I have kind of grinding out the, the freelance thing on the play-by-play side. Uh, that's why it, the goal to kind of get in on the, the full-time contracted side is, is so appealing because it just gives you so much more, uh, it gives you a lot more security. And, you know, again, you're, you're doing bigger games and, uh, it's it's definitely like a goal as opposed to what you know what you're doing or what we're all kind of doing now at least on on this regional level but it's always it kind of goes back to the challenge of like how do you you know breaking in and in, in that standpoint when there are fewer and fewer games being put on a linear basis companies are i'm sure you just saw there was the story you know espn having to apologize they basically you know essentially they were cutting corners on their pac-12 football broadcast they were just you know they were using like half the cameras they should have been and the camera quality was was really bad and that's for like a prime time Pac-12 football game on ESPN, which just shows you, I mean, the nature of the business right now from a, a video production standpoint, it is like, it's really expensive to do these games well. And coming out of the pandemic, these companies, it's not just ESPN. A lot of people are trying to save however much they can. So that's kind of where, while the goal like still remains the same, getting the full-time contract, like that's obviously what, you know, for me, what I'd love to do, uh, you know, it's make that uh, at some point in my career at the same time, you kind of realize, like, especially where we're at right now in 2021, just the reality is there are so many guys under contract who many of whom are not getting their full allotment of contracted games just based on, uh, on you know, on logistics and, uh, and, and the inventory there. That's sort of where the reality is. And um, it'll be interesting to see, like, how it develops over the next couple of years. But for now, that's kind of where we're at. It's, but it's, you know, it's been very interesting to follow because I never would have thought in a million years, like, really ESPN getting called out for you know, cutting, cutting corners and not producing like a legit broadcast on a primetime right. pack. So like the whole concept of that, as I'm sure you would agree with is just insane, but that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. And it seems like the, just the media landscape in general is just completely shifting and you would know this way better than I do, but um, you know, certainly obviously with people cutting the cord and things moving to streaming and people wanting, you know, there's bundling and then there's unbundling and uh, there's, you know, I tweeted out the other day how I think it's kind of ridiculous. Some of the, the blackout rules in the NFL, you get that stuff in there. Um, and then you get interesting things like, you know, for us as Brewer fans, I don't know if you saw this, but Brian Anderson's going to be down to 50 games um, a season for them to obviously focus on like the national broadcast. It's just interesting to see those dynamics because it sounds to me like what you're saying that those national jobs are so hard to get that when you do get those opportunities or you do get them offered to you, you have to jump on them. Right. Um, because they may not come back around for a while or the same terms or whatever it might be. 
Oh, yeah, no, no question. I mean, it's got, I think the national jobs have gotten more, I would say has, have stayed as lucrative just from a, you know, you're still doing the biggest games, still getting the biggest exposure, but I think at the same, and at the same time, cause there's a lot of guys and, and Brian Anderson, like he, you know, he's been a mentor of mine. I've, I've known him for a while and like super, super nice guy and always has been so good to me at giving critiques and um, feedback and just general advice in the business. But, uh, but he'd also be the first to tell you, I mean, things have changed so much from when you know, he got the brewer's job in 2006 and, you know, to, to where the industry is at 15 years later. I mean, it's just crazy. And I think, I know the thing for him too, like, BA, I mean, he loves the Brewers. Like we've talked about this a lot and, and, you know, he's always wanted, he's never wanted to make it seem like, oh, I'm just, you know, this is just my position to just kind of call games while I'm in between national gigs. Like he, he genuinely loves the fan base, loves calling games for, you know, for, for Valley, Wisconsin and doing the Brewers day in and day out. It's just kind of like the, as the, as the business changes and is the way to like, I think a lot of it is more of a commentary on the regional sports networks in general, because, you're right. starting to see this with the whole like the Sinclair takeover and the whole Bally's thing. The RSNs, I mean, it's, you know, I, you know, we when, when they first kind of exploded back in the early 2000s, it was so cool because you finally had an RSN like a Fox, you know, back when it was Fox Sports North and, you know, shared with Minnesota and, and Wisconsin, just for an example there, like they're showing every single Twins, Brewers, Bucks, Timberwolves game, like every single game. And getting one of those gigs, and I, I mean, it still is, but getting one of those gigs was a huge deal back then. Not that I think it's like been minimized now. I, I just think the way that the, as you mentioned, the whole cutting the cord deals and, and how these RSNs are are certainly holding out and are not really, they're definitely not as consumer friendly as they were meant to be now, just from a general like management standpoint. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know where the RSNs go right. from here. And I, for me, like coming out of school, that was always like, you know, the, the, like the dream gig would have basically been what BA was doing, which was you're calling 160 brewer games a year, you're calling 80 bucks games a year, and you're doing national work. I'm not, you know, I don't know how many, how, how feasible that's going to be for, uh, for a lot of people going forward. I mean, that's all for me, like BA, Ian Eagle, who does the same thing with the nets on, on yes. And then his CBS work, those are two mentors of mine who, I always looked up to thinking like that is the dream scenario. You know, I don't know for people going forward, like how, you know, how realistic that that will be of these RSNs, like a, I mean, paying enough to make it worth your while. If you're, if you're doing national work and, and just be also like, like cutting, cutting down on some of the actual broadcasts they're doing and, and trying to cheapen the product. So that's just yet another one of those things where like, you know, you kind of tackle that when you get there. And so like BA is so good and Ian is so good that for them, like it's, you know, they're, they're always going to have games to call and it just, you know, they, they're going to want to make it make the most sense for them. And no matter how they do it, they'll, they'll do a great job at it. Uh, so I think for us, like we all see that from, you know, as we're kind of slowly making our way up the ladder but it does make you think like, all right, well, what is the, you know, if you ever get a shot at a, you know, an RSN gig, well, is it going to be different and less, you know, less appealing 10 years from now in a position where you never would have even second guessed, you know, the, uh, you know, just the authoritative nature that having a gig like that would, you know, would make you feel in, in respect to the business, you know, as a whole. Right. Yeah, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, it just, yeah, I mean, you can kind of just see it in terms of like what you said with the way, you know, the, you know, the, the broadcasting rights have shifted and, you know, where things are, per, you know, like, I think it's, I, I think brewer games, like you have to have, 
I, I'm a little bit guessing here, but I think it's like you have to have spectrum. I don't care because I have major league baseball extra earnings, so I get it no matter what. But I think you have to have a certain cable provider in Wisconsin to see the games. And so that's the sort point. And it's just it's just is very, very different, like you said. So um that's that's super interesting to hear how that is has really changed. So let's talk about the betting piece too, um, that you both have uh you know talked about on your own podcast and in your own broadcast. So you're the host of the Pete Rose's Daily Picks podcast. Um, and is that the co-host with the, you know, legendary Pete Rose or is that a different Pete Rose? <laughs> it, it, is, it is that. Yes, it is that Pete Rose. Uh, the, yeah, the hit king himself. Not It's not just some random guy they found named Pete Rose. They could just uh, <laughs> they could just. Well, I had somebody on the podcast. Out. I had somebody in the podcast a couple months ago whose name was Robert Kraft, but he wasn't the Robert Kraft. He wasn't. So he I, was just, not the Robert I Kraft. just had to make sure. <laughs> So what does your podcast uh, or what does your uh, Pete Rose's Daily Picks podcast talk about? Um, how often do you, do you host it daily? Um, and, uh, you know, what is it like uh, interacting with Pete Rose all the time? Yeah, it's so it is a, basically a daily show. We do we do six shows a week and they're usually I mean, they're pretty short. The whole point is it's it's Pete Rose's Daily Picks. So uh, it, it's a, it was a little surreal. I mean, starting it with him. I mean, here is your the most notorious gambler probably ever um in in the i mean regardless you want to talk sports landscaper just in general i mean the guy it's it's like you you know even me who was born i mean i was born after he was banned from baseball and even i like it, i know intricately every detail about that because it is such a well-known um, story and he is such a well-known guy for that reason but basically the, the premise is I, I set up pete i've i've got all the lines because you know i have them all in front of me i'm tracking them and we talk about the biggest games. I mean, when we started, it was during the MLB postseason, so we would focus on that at the start. And uh, but we'll do. We talk NFL, we talk college football on our our show uh, today. We were talking NBA. Basically, talk about the biggest games, and uh, and he gives out his picks, and that's pretty much the the premise. And we kind of go back and forth. There's some story time in there because I mean, after all, it is you know it is Pete Rose. Yeah, he's got some, he's got some stories. But that's that's kind of the premise, and we've had a ton of fun doing it. It's it is weird because sometimes you catch yourself saying like, wow, I'm really talking gambling with, uh, with Pete Rose, who, you know, obviously as we, as we know, right. there's, there's a lot there. So that's kind of our, our premise where we actually, I mean, we've just started. It's um, the, the venture began just over a month ago, just to, to get stuff going for, uh, for baseball. So now that, so with baseball wrapping up now and we're getting towards the end of football, we're going to start having, uh, having guests and, and having, you know, not as heavy of just these pick shows where we're going back and forth. And I'm like, all right, Pete, uh, you know, the Nets are laying three against the Warriors. Who do you like? And, you know, we go back and forth on that. Does but, he know basketball and football and hockey as well too? Or is it just baseball? No. So he, he does. I mean, he knows everything, he, which like Pete would be a great, if he really wanted to, he would be a tremendous sports talk radio host if, like if he really wanted to and he doesn't i mean he's 80 which is, you know he's just this is kind of a thing for him it's just for fun he, lo- he genuinely loves talking about games and he's watching basically every day but uh so he has an opinion on everything it's it's kind of amazing i definitely think i mean baseball is certainly a strong suit for him he's I, I would say more dialed in just because he, he and he knows the game so well. He's been around baseball for so long, and he still has relationships with, uh, with you know, with a lot of the guys that are uh, that are in the game, and uh, and you know, he, he talks to a lot of players in the off season and gives them advice and, and everything like that. So he, he's very dialed in there. He's still like very sharp and on top of it. Um, but having said that, he still I mean he still watches the NBA every night. He's watching the NFL, college football every weekend. So we, we do, uh, we, we get into it and we, we, and we do, there's really no limits on like what we talk about. Um, but that's, I guess if there is a, 
there's really no better example of like sports betting media in 2021 that when you know, Pete Rose has got his own show basically. And I, you know, I'm kind of just helping out, you know, I'm kind of like the driver. I joke. I'm like the, you know, unofficial conciliary of his on the show. I'm just trying to set him up with like good picks and, and find the best games to talk about. But when he's, you know, a guy like him is doing a show in, in this day and age and doing it, you know, free flowing, giving out picks. Like that kind of tells you where, uh, where the sports betting, spaces in a nutshell but having said right. all that like he genuinely loves it and he i think he really likes you know doing the shows every day or else again he's 80 he doesn't have to be doing anything if, if he doesn't want to so i think it just speaks to his his still his level of passion for it yeah 100 percent. and i think the fact is is that like you know um it, we're in a different era as you mentioned with regards to sports betting i'm uh, not saying the same thing might not have happened if he was caught betting back then as uh now uh, or caught betting now as back then but um, I do think that, and actually that would, this is my next question for you if you're able to answer it. I do think as time goes on, as betting becomes more woven into the fabric of American sports, into broadcasts, into the sponsorships, the partnership deals with the leagues themselves, I, you got to think at some point he's got to be let back into the hall or let into the Hall of Fame. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, especially as the especially as the attitude towards gambling changes because it right. already has. I, I mean, I have to think that if, you know, we're talking like a, approval rating of, you know, just the question, should Pete Rose be in the hall of fame? I think, in, in, I think for a lot of people, and you know, again, just like, you, you know, you talk to friends and you're whatever you, the discussion and I feel like, you know, no matter what, who, which circles you're in that, the question always comes up and it's like, yeah, he, of course, like he should be in the hall of fame. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Sure. He, you know, right. he bet on his team when they were winning games, like he wasn't throwing games or anything. It's just kind of a ridiculous premise in the first point uh, in the first place, maybe that was the minority opinion. I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, but now I have to think the whole, like the Pete Rose hall of fame approval rating, it's, it's gotta be like over, you know, 75, 80% right now, just from the public opinion side of it. And that might, I might even be underselling that. Like, I think, and I, you know, I, it's not like I'm just <laughs> selling out just cause I work with him now, but I, I think I've always felt that way. And it's, it's always, and kind of going back to the whole, like when you know, you'd see politicians come in and say like, yeah, sports betting, you know, it's this dangerous gambling thing. It shouldn't be legal. And, you know, you always sat there and like, what, like, why is this industry being treated like, the absolute devilish worst part of society. Like it's just, it's just ridiculous when, you know, when there's so many other things that are so much worse and that are just as, just as if not more addicting, like why, why is there such a focus in the public narrative on, on gambling, on sports in general? And so I think a lot of that just kind of has carried over. And for people in charge of baseball, it's sort of like, well, that's always been the position. So we can't, we've dug ourselves, you know, we've not really dug ourselves a hole, but we've made our position so strong that it wouldn't make sense to change. You know, I think it's obviously it, it's obviously such a shame that I mean he's you know 80, so the clock is he knows this clock's running out on uh, you know on getting in while he's you know he's while he's still alive. But um, it, it I, I I don't know if it'll ever happen just because of even with the partnerships and the betting and everything because baseball like you know like with college football you know college sports they still they they still will always claim that even though they're now paying athletes you know with with NLI. They will always claim it's an amateur sport and there's the integrity there and, and any breach of that d deserves to not even be acknowledged. So I, that's my one, like, like my one thing, we're so far into it that I don't know that just because the MLB has a partnership with BetMGM that all of a sudden they're going to say, you know what, we're, we were idiots this whole time. We're going to, we're going to get Pete in the hall of fame. I don't know that, that it's really going to change anything. W what I do think more than anything will be that the, the, at a certain point, the, 
the approval rating is it's going to be like 99% of people, you know, at some point when you look back on history and you think about it in the context of where we're at, you say, this is the most ridiculous thing ever that he wasn't at some point allowed in one of the greatest players in the history of the game. It's just, it's, it's just ridiculous. So I think there's a kind of a dichotomy there of we're going to get to a point where like he unanimously should, everybody feels like he should be in, but I, you know, I don't know. It's we know how Rob Manfred as a commissioner has not exactly been a, a beacon of progressiveness there leading the office. So I just, I'm just not sure that it's ever going to happen, at least in the inner, you know, in the near future here, actually getting him into the hall of fame, just simply because they've got the betting partnerships now. Yeah. Well, and, and, and baseball has been the slowest to adopt sports betting into yeah. its uh, ecosystem. Right. I mean, the NFL and I mean, the NBA is, was the first, I mean, heck, uh, Adam Silver wrote the op-ed piece in the New York times that really got the ball rolling on it. Um, NFL, I mean, they, you know, they're a money printing machine. And so, you know, they follow the dollars and they recognize, um, you know, how important sports betting is in its landscape. Um, and, you know, both the NBA and NFL teams have team, both the NFL and NBA, excuse me, both the NFL and NHL have teams in Vegas. Uh, I'm sure the NBA will at some point. Um, and it's just, it's just odd, you know, that baseball seems to once again be behind all of it. And it really sucks because like, as we talked about the top of the broadcast, baseball was my first love. Um, my first baseball game was, I don't remember which game in the hitting streak, but it was during Paul Molitor's, you know, 39 oh, game wow. hitting streak in 87. And, and it's just like, well, why is it that baseball still has to be just stuck behind the times and everything, you know, and I, and I consider the Pete Rose, you know, issue uh, also part of that, you know, I think he should be in the hall of fame. He's the all-time hits leader. Um, he's, I mean, without that, he would be a hall of famer. And if you just want to say, Hey, we're doing it to punish the person and to make it clear that, you know, betting is a hundred percent never allowed. Well, it, it doesn't really do that much in my opinion, because there's many, many, many baseball players who are not hall of famers. So they go, well, well, I'm not going to get in the hall of fame anyway. So maybe I'll bet. No, you're not going to bet because it's, it's the right thing to do. If you're a players, you don't bet on the games. Right. And so I think he's suffered enough and I think he's gone through enough. And, you know, I think, I think at this point, it just feels like spite, you know, to keep him out. Um, it's not the right thing to do. Um, so yeah, so hopefully, Hopefully they get it together uh, and right. uh, get them in. Because I, I, I mean, I think spite, I think, right con- I think convenience as well. I mean, if, if we're being honest too, because you think about it from, I mean, it's easy to just sit there and say, well, you know, we've got a position already. We don't, we don't need to change. And I think, you know, the, the one thing that a lot of these leagues and I mean, MLB is a good example of this by, you know, by not changing its stance. Don't, I don't think I've really thought about is the idea. Cause I think there's such a reluctance to, even though the leagues have gone into these partnerships like the NFL, they like they don't want they still don't want their play by play guys talking about the spread, you know, on on the air a, a ton. I mean, it's like you know, obviously, growing up, and it's like you hear Al Michaels make the veiled reference to the total, and you're like, this is so cool because you know, you know, it's like this mm-hmm. se- secret language. Like networks, they still don't want guys to do that, and I, I mean, the leagues, I don't think the leagues do either, and I think it's still this this thought of like, well, we, you know, we're, we're obviously cool with the partnership because uh, and we're not going to admit this, but cause it makes us a ton of money. But at the same time, like we don't really, we still don't want to fully go down that path of, of, because we're just, we're afraid of off. Well, if everybody is so aware of it, well, maybe that could bring in fixing games into the equation. I, I definitely get the sense that the, those leagues still have those thoughts in the back of their minds while not really considering that like fixing games in 2021, like as much as the sports betting media industry has exploded, the sports betting 
uh, verifying of legitimacy industry has, has absolutely exploded as well. Like there are so many uh, companies out there and, and I know a number of guys who work for one of the big ones here in, uh, in Vegas, uh, us integrity, literally mm-hmm. their entire company is just, is monitoring betting markets monitor. Right. I mean, they're monitoring officials and, and they are looking for any digital detections of anything that could possibly remotely constitute a game being fixed. Like no, you're not fixing a game. I'm sorry. In 20, you're just not fixing a game no in 2021. Chance. It's literally Don't. impossible. And I think these leagues are still kind of blind to that thought that, that, uh, that that is still a potential thing. Cause that was always the fear mongering that went around with like, you know, politicians and, and, and anybody who opposed it was, yeah, well, what's going to happen if we, you know, we start, if this is in the public sphere and all of a sudden players are going to start uh, fixing games, like that can't happen. It's, it's just not going to, no. it's impossible. It just no. won't happen. And they make so much money. I mean, why are they going to risk, you know, their million dollar salaries to make a $25,000 win or even a hundred thousand dollar win? I mean, yes, maybe that fear is a little bit more uh, prevalent with officials because they don't make nearly as much, obviously, you know, Donaghy. Uh, is a, is right. a clear example of that. But the technologies you mentioned for monitoring that is much better than it was even five to seven years ago. Um, so I think nowadays that Tim Donaghy would have a really tough time getting away with that. Um, and I think it would be spotted a lot faster just because of the fact that sports betting is now part of the fabric. When sports betting is underground and it's not being monitored and you don't have it you know, in the public's eye, well, then it's easier for underground stuff to happen when you have it above ground and you have it woven again into the fabric of the ecosystem of the leagues and everything else. Well, then it's a lot less likely, you know, to happen. So, so I agree there. So, I mean, I think that's, um, you know, again, just, you know, we've talked with a few other podcasts, you know, guests before about just, you know, baseball kind of, um, it'd be nice for it to get with the program and get, you know, with the times on a lot of stuff. I think they've got a lot of things that they need to look at themselves in the mirror on because it's, it's a shame because I love baseball. I mean, it was my first love, but at the same time, you know, I'm like you, like I sit in front of the TV all day and watch football on Sunday, but I don't sit in front of the TV all day and watch baseball on a Wednesday. Um, I watch the Brewers game and that's it. It's a much more local game um, and football is much more national. And the NBA is also much more international so, and it's kind of like, well, where does that leave baseball? Um, doesn't have the international presence, doesn't have the national presence. It has local presence and it has some, you know, kind of, I think, um, excitement issues it's got to work on too, uh, such as pace of play and right. stuff like that, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you, wouldn't you think too, I mean, having said all that though, that's where the whole betting aspect can make a game yeah. like that so much more popular. We saw, yeah. we saw it during the, pandemic where all of a sudden there were no sports and people were betting on, you know, Marbles. Like Russian ping pong was becoming, you know, <laughs> I, I think it was the Ukrainian, sorry, the Ukrainian table tennis was the, was the, right. the more, the more proper thing there. And yeah, it's like, that's, I, and that's a great example of where, you know, if the league goes further in on that, you get, because like, I'll admit, I mean, the reason I, you know, I watch baseball during this, I mean, I, you know, like you have the MLB TV package, like I'm watching baseball because I'm betting on it and because I'm, you know, involved in fantasy and other things like that. It's not like the NFL, if the NFL, if betting was illegal in the NFL, I would still watch every single, I would still watch right. all 16 games every week. That's just how it is. You know, that's just how it is. That is the power of that league. And uh, I mean, selfishly, it's great for us for content because for most of our shows that I, I work on throughout the week, you know, we're talking NFL and, and that's because that's, that's the king of betting right now. But that's just, you know, another example on the baseball side, like why, you know, why not, go more lean more into that um you know because it is such a, a powerful thing and in totally. those dog days of summer when there's nothing else to bet on i mean people you know people are going to gravitate toward it yeah 100 percent. well and so naturally with you you know working at vcent i mean that is a perfect situation right you know doing play-by-play for them 
um, which is, you know, a, a betting content company. And now, you know, of course they've been acquired by DraftKings uh, recently. So uh, got to ask, you know, I mean, what have you, you know, had a chance to ever interact or work with Brent Musburger or Mike Lombardi or any of the folks over at VEASAN? Yeah. So, uh, so I, we enduringly just call him uncle Brent's whenever we see him, it's, it's almost, <laughs> uh, sur- it's surreal to be, uh, in his presence. He, so he is, um, he, since the pandemic, he hasn't been around as much because, you know, obviously with his age and, and the way our, you know, for those who don't know, we have our studios, we have two different studios, both in different Las Vegas casinos. So, um, obviously that was kind of a stressful time, like still doing shows during the pandemic and, you know, we're on being on high alert. And luckily now just about all of us are, are vaccinated and we don't, you know, there's not as much of a, uh, of a worry there, even though, I mean, you still have to take precautions and everything. So Brent is Brent Moore does remote stuff now for us. Um, he, he will still do occasional like hits in, in our studios, but it's a little less frequent than it was um, pre-pandemic. So I yeah, did get to, did get to work with Brent. I have, um, yeah, I've hosted shows with, uh, with Michael Lombardi, he's our, he's, we have a show called the Lombardi line, which is kind of, that's, that's his show. And uh, we, we have a Patrick Maher who works for Sirius XM, mm-hmm. who's one of our outstanding, like yeah. one of the you know, best hosts we have. He, he's the main host of that show, but uh, he, he, yeah, was, he left Mad Dog for you guys. He did leave. Yes, he did. But he was also <laughs> the genius who, uh, who I, who I guess worked into his contract. He could get like, a, he could get uh, <laughs> like the whole month of July off or something like that. I don't know what the exact thing was, but, but mm-hmm. he was very smart in doing that. So I, I filled in for Patrick um, at times for some shows this summer and, and, and got to work with, uh, with Michael and, you know, what's, I think what's, um, what's been really fun about our network is we have a really good mix of, there's a lot of professional, professional betters on the network and also guys like, uh, like Michael and Brent who are so well known and you know, in the industry for, you know, for more than simply uh, just betting They you know, obviously bring a lot more to the table as well. So I always, it's really interesting. We're, our company's in an interesting spot now where there is so much content out there and we're getting, our, our shows are getting more and more eyeballs every day. Now that we've gone from this, this little niche thing out of this one studio in Vegas to, as you mentioned, like now it's a DraftKings entity and we're, you know, we're doing hits for all sorts of um, different types of projects going, you know, going around the country. It's not just like a Nevada thing anymore with how things have exploded. So we're always trying to think of like what, like what makes content resonate with people and like why, you know, with so many different shows out there doing betting every day, like such the, I think such a challenge now is just how do you, how do you relate to people and and get them, you know, make people want to actually listen to what you have to say on, on betting, because it's, it's just like any other form of, um, of entertainment. So it's, it's, I mean, I love working for VEASAN just because we've got so many people that are, are really, really good at that. We cannot, uh, we kind of all, you know, challenge each other uh, as, as far as the content we put out and also just, you know, by, by having fun and being able to kind of take different angles and go further in depth on these games. So it helps when you have somebody like Brent, you know, you can have Brent on a show, like it's Brent Musburger. People are, you know, it's kind of like of doing a podcast with Pete Rose. Like people are going to tune in. That's another one. Um, can you believe Brent is not in the Hall of Fame? I, I know. <laughs> is that unbelievable or what? Why is he? He's Brent Musburger. How can he not be in the Hall of Fame? I don't, it's, it's a good question. I don't know. And well, and he's, I mean, he still does uh, the Raider games on, uh, right. on radio. And uh, actually our, one of our, um, you know, our, our main um, executive producers at, at VEASAN has, is, is his occasional spotter, which is, which has been, uh, which is pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, it's, he, you know, he's obviously gone. I think he, he had the foresight really to, to kind of go all in on this and realize that things were about to explode. And, 
and that uh, you know he had so many relationships over the years um, with diff with the bookmakers in Vegas, and that's I think what makes our you know our, our network kind of special. Where we you know it's not like guys that we just sort of call up out of nowhere. I mean, it's it's people that we are in physically in person speaking with every day who are are the people originating lines, which is you know, kind of a, a pretty special thing. And when you think about how you know just how global this this whole business is now, from just like the bookmaking aspect of it, and and that we have access to those people's uh, people on our show. So uh, yeah, to answer your question, I I no idea how that <laughs> that is that is not happened. I mean, it it's okay. I'm not asking you to take care of it, but yeah, it is. It's just remarkable. I mean, it's uh, um, and I love listening to Michael Lombardi on uh, GM Shuffle, and he he has a spot on Mad Dog every I think Thursday or Friday. Uh, which is also great to listen to. He's just, uh, he tells it like it is no BS um, and gets right to the point, which is, which is awesome. Um, and just yeah. an entertaining guy to listen to, which is, I, which is really cool. I will, sh the one uh, Michael story that I will share that, that, uh, <laughs> that is, was great. Well, a, a, I was, I was hosting with him the day that Aaron Rodgers announced his return to green Bay. So we were, I think, cause okay. I think that came out at like, it was like 9.58 a.m. Pacific time. And I just remember that because we were on together from like 9 to 11 um, on, on the West Coast. And we spent basically an entire, uh, yeah, basically the entire second hour of our show talking about that. But uh, we, with, there's been so many different, like, you know, kind of new projects that we've done with, at VEASAN over the, at, at the years. And for a lot of the big ones, like I've, I've kind of more been behind the scenes just producing some of them because we want, you know, our biggest name people on them. And um, like our Super Bowl bet cast was kind of like the first, First, one of those, uh, this is before I got here, but this is one of those things that just lives in like VEASAN lore where uh, it was, it was Brent, it was Michael Lombardi, um, Gil Alexander was, you know, who's been a great mentor to me. And he's, you know, what may, you could argue like one of the best hosts in the business period um, has his, you know, has multiple shows he hosts at our network. They're all doing this, this Super Bowl bet cast the first year of VEASAN. And it was the Patriots Falcons Super Bowl. And uh, with, with the Falcons up 28-3, you know, and Michael Lombardi is obviously having worked for Bill Belichick. Like, you know, we give him a hard time. He's, he's always in the can for, for, uh, for Belichick. He was, he was so livid at the game planning by new England that in the middle of our, our, our bet cast, he literally during a commercial just got up off the set and left. And like, he just didn't come back. He just left and it was 28, three. And, uh, that was like one of the great, like, you know, the hilarious early years of VEASAN memories where it was just kind of like anything goes, you know, we're starting this network from scratch and uh, that's like the, the Lombardi story from uh, from early. And of course, one of the most iconic, I think Brent did, during that betcast was like, all right, turn out the lights. This thing is over. And uh, obviously one of the most memorable, iconic Super Bowls ever. I wonder, I wasn't paying attention because we weren't doing uh, we weren't doing any betting thing, anything betting related during that Super Bowl. But I wonder what the odds were, uh, if you can recall, for the Patriots to come back and win the game at that point. It would, I mean... It, it, and again, yeah. And I, I was not at VEASAN yet, so I don't remember exactly what like the live market stuff was, but I mean, it, it was pretty, it, I, th I want to say remembering it was in like, the, I mean, they were in like the 14 to one range live. Cause it was, you know, it was 28, three late third quarter. Uh, you, you know, you, you literally needed like a, per, a perfect execution the rest of the way. Uh, mm -hmm. and, but, and, you know, and that's one of those things now that, like had that Super Bowl, you know, you almost wonder like had that Super Bowl taken place this past February right. and with the way, cause like live betting now is such a, like, that's such a huge part of what we do. And like I host shows on the weekend and so much of it is like live betting and more and more people are doing that. Cause it's like, well, why would you want to bet pregame when the numbers already dictated and you just, you know, you haven't seen anything yet when you can just jump in and bet a game live. Like I really do wonder 
just like how much that would have exploded our collective brains if like the live betting was a thing and uh, it was more I mean more of a thing like as it is now with with that Super Bowl with Patriots Falcons and because I know if I mean people definitely would have been there would have been some amazing stories coming out of that of people taking shots on New England and and uh, it would have made it just really really fascinating to follow you know the way the the live markets would have would have gone with that for sure Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think it would have been kind of, especially if the, as the Patriots were starting to come back and then people kind of sniff that that might, you know, happen. I think they would have been, uh, they would have been all, uh, they would have been all over that. So, I mean, this was a really, I, this has to be one of the most interesting episodes we've done in a while. I think what you're working on is just absolutely fascinating. Um, and uh, the fact that you are, you know, making it as a broadcaster, which is really hard to do. The fact that you've got a podcast with Pete Rose, uh, the fact that you have rubbed elbows with Brent Musburger and um, Michael Lombardi in the past and, and everything that you've done uh, just seems like you are, you know, on the fast track you know, upwards, which is um, just really great, Ben. So uh, last thing I always like to ask everybody is how can people find you or the podcasts or any of your content online? Yeah. Well, and again, thank you so much for, uh, for the invite, Mark, greatly, uh, greatly appreciated. And I'm, I'm certainly uh, hope you have to get out here to Vegas at some point, check out, you know, we'll, we'll have, of course we'll we're licensed there now in Nevada. Okay. Well, yeah, you, you got it. I mean, it's gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta happen. Of course. I mean, yes. now, even though it's legalized in so many other States, I mean, still, we kind of feel like we're, this is the place to be uh, yeah, for that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, any, any, and of course, anytime we have our, yeah, our Circa and our South Point uh, studios there at VEASAN, but uh, yeah, I, I'm at, uh, my, I have a website, benwilsonbroadcasting.com. Um, and our, our uh, podcast I do with Pete, it's Pete Rose's daily picks, which is through Quake Media. And they, like so many other media companies, it's kind of their foray into sports betting. They're, they're mostly a political podcast, or they have been a political podcast network in the past. Uh, but we have a website for our show. It's, it's quakemedia.com slash Pete. Uh, there's a great little uh, photo shoot there, Pete, if you, if you go, to the, go to the website. I am not featured, uh, thankfully, in the, in the photo shoot. It's all Pete. Uh, and we've got all, our, all, our, uh, all of our, ups, our episodes there you can subscribe to, uh, either there or throughout Apple. And then uh, I'm on uh, whatever Twitter, Instagram at uh, Ben underscore Wilson underscore one. So I'm not like the biggest social media guy, mostly because I'm always like looking at things to bet and I just get sidetracked and don't post as much as I probably should. But anyway, that's, that's where I have uh, my stuff at. So, right. Yeah. Busy time right now. I've got a lot of college basketball I'm doing here in the next um, couple of weeks. And, uh, and I, the show I host VEASAN is VEASAN Bet Center, which is 9 PM to 1 AM Eastern on Saturday nights. And uh, we have a lot of fun with it. Cause it's always, you know, pr- late night college football going into NFL Sunday. Um, so it's like kind of pseudo live betting, but also NFL previews. So we have a, a ton of fun with it. Uh, and that's kind of the main show I'm, I'm on air for uh, right now at VEASAN. Awesome. Well, that is a, that's a mouthful, but it's because you're doing a lot of great things. So yeah, I know. I don't, uh, I, I feel bad. I, love it. I don't want to feel like I'm you know, just no, no, this too is much. Good. That's just how it, I guess that's just how it is. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. And uh, it might be good that you stay away from the social media rabbit hole times. Cause it can be pretty, uh, uh, it can get pretty crazy for sure. <laughs> just, I mean, especially in the people giving out picks, uh, <laughs> business yes. of oh, oh, yeah. Twitter. I, I have, I've made a point to not do that. Like I have plenty of friends who do that and they're or like, they, they, you know, they do the TikToks with betting and I'm just like, it's, it's such, it seems like such a cesspool. I don't, I don't want any part of that. So I'm just going to stick with like the shameful, the shameless, uh, RT of whenever I'm on the air. And that's, I kind of leave it at that. So I'm, I'm not like the most exciting follow by any means. So if you don't want to follow me, like don't I totally, I totally don't take it personally. 
Uh, I, well, I well, would, I but I'm now going to subscribe to your podcast, and so hopefully but, all yes. of our listeners will too. Uh, we'll put in the we'll put in the show notes the the links to the podcast, so um, people can good. people can check it out. So yeah, thanks for your time again, Ben. You've been an amazing guest. Uh, good luck with everything in the future, and look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it.